Hello, and welcome to episode 110 of the Convenient Counselor Podcast. My name is Brianna Leach. I'm a wife, a mom of three, and a licensed counselor. And this week, my self-care looks like turning off social media for a bit and spending extra time with family. And I hope that you've taken time out of your week to care for yourself as well. And I am so glad you're here listening today. The goal of this podcast is to create a safe space for you to learn more about yourself and to learn about mental health topics on your time. This is no replacement for actual therapy, but I do hope that it can be a resource when you have questions or maybe just give you that little push that you need this week. Today is another Q&A episode. This is the fifth installment of questions that you guys have submitted and that I want to answer from my counseling perspective and of course my personal perspective as well. And I love hearing the questions come in because they're ones that I've had in the past as well or scenarios that I'm familiar with. So thank you for those of you who took the time to comment or message me and submit a question. We have three today, so I will jump right in with the first one. This person wrote, I have a family member who would really benefit from counseling, but I'm not sure how to tell them that without offending them. What should I do? First of all, I love that this person cares enough to notice a need and want to offer solution. I don't know the full background story, but maybe the person who submitted this question goes to therapy on their own and sees the benefit of it. So naturally, when you get helped with something, you want others to be able to experience that as well. So I love the care that surrounds this. Secondly, there are very few scenarios where someone being forced into counseling goes smoothly. (laughs) From my own experience, uh, when I get clients who are mandated to be in counseling, it is not exactly the receptive audience that you're hoping for, but it does still work. Um, But in this scenario, it sounds like a conversation can be had where you can share the benefits of your own personal therapeutic journey of how you've grown or what you've experienced. Most people, I would say nine times out of 10, wish they had started sooner, wish they had worked on themselves at an earlier age or earlier in a season of life. So what I would do in that scenario is just share your own personal experience of man, you know, you're really struggling with X. And when I was struggling with that, this is what I did. Or have you ever thought about seeing someone for this? Because on the flip side, even if you do offend them, would you rather have said something to maybe contribute to the solution rather than either shoving it under the rug or ignoring it when maybe they want someone to notice that this is a struggle or maybe they don't even know where to start and you could be that person that helps connect them. Oftentimes in different struggles, sometimes a group therapeutic approach can be an easy way to ease into the idea of therapy, whether it be parenting or premarital or um, grieving. Sometimes you can say, hey, I heard about this group in our community that meets and talks about this, or maybe someone's struggling with addiction and they're are lots of different opportunities for connecting in a larger group and maybe normalizing some of the behaviors or feelings. And then they might take the next step 
to work more on their own personal issues. So kudos to this person for seeing a need in their friend or family member, wanting to say something about it. And at the end of the day, you have to say, is the risk of offending worth the benefit of helping? Most of the time, the answer is yes. Okay, question number two. And I absolutely love this question. This person wrote, what can I do to make the most of my time in therapy? The teacher in me says, great job, student. (laughs) You are willing to prep to get the most out of your time. And that's fantastic on both ends. You're not wasting anyone's time. You want to soak up what you can or apply what you're learning. And I'm not sure from this question whether it's what should I be doing during the session or before or after, but really it kind of all flows together. So ahead of time, you can come prepared with a list of bullet points or things you really want to make sure you address in that time. I actually have an entire podcast episode dedicated to this. It's called Four Things to Do Before a Counseling Session. It's episode 64, and I will link to it in the show notes. But you can prepare yourself mentally, physically, making sure you have some time to breathe before a session. And then during a session, you can take notes or you can make sure if you're doing telehealth or maybe you're seeing someone on your computer, make sure you're in a, an office or a part of your home that you feel comfortable and relaxed. You can make the most out of counseling sessions by scheduling them regularly. Don't leave one session without getting the next one on the calendar so that you can keep up with progress or momentum that you've started. Even if they're spaced out, at least you know, you know, once every three months or once every six weeks, I'm getting that shot in the arm of an encouragement and a reminder of things that I'm working on. And then after sessions, I always recommend not jumping into something directly after a counseling session. Usually you've opened up some doors in your brain or maybe taken things off shelves in your mind that haven't been examined in a while and you need a few moments to process that or to maybe reset and lower your heart rate after you have run an emotional marathon more or less. So giving yourself a little bit of buffer time, even if that's a drive or taking the long way home or taking the long way back to the office, try not to schedule something immediately after a therapy session. And then do the homework, do the work, do whatever was assigned to you. If you have that kind of therapy, there's all different kinds. It's not always something you will apply right away. It might just be think about this, answer this question that was open-ended, figure out what that looks like, do the work, write it down, take a moment, record an audio note, whatever works for you. But from the therapist side, I can say, It is so much easier and beneficial when the client has come to the next session, having done what we talked about the week before. So prepare yourself ahead of time. Be present during the session. Try not to multitask or the worst thing is if you feel like you have to act a certain way or you feel guarded in a session, be as open and real as you possibly can. And then afterwards, do the work. You will get the most out of therapy when you take personal ownership of your own growth and not leave it to someone else. That counselor will guide you, 
but it will be you putting in the effort to increase your self-awareness, to make changes needed, and become a healthier version of yourself. And the final question this time around, believe it or not, has been submitted more than once, and my husband and I were a part of a marriage small group, and we were discussing questions as well, and it came up then. So I figured it's one we should add to this series of Q&A, and it's this question. Is it okay if couples don't fight? Doesn't that mean they're doing well? Short answer, no. It's not healthy for couples not to fight. You might think, oh, we just get along so well, nothing ever bothers us. But you might want to re-examine maybe what fight means. I'm talking disagreements, small arguments. Those are needed and encouraged in couples because it shows that you care enough to put in the effort. Honestly, when fighting goes away completely, sometimes one or both people have checked out. If I'm working with a couple and they say, oh, we just never fight, I worry and I look for apathy because apathy is a leading indicator of potential separation when you just don't care anymore. When you fight, it means you actually care about this relationship, that you're willing to work on it. Now, if any of you listening have trauma in your background or have been in an abusive relationship, I am not talking about any of that and nothing in the forms of emotional or physical abuse. But when I say an argument, we fight, you know, flash in the pan, we have a disagreement It doesn't have to be mean or unhealthy, but it shows that you're engaged, that you care enough to work through an issue and come out on the other side stronger, or at least understanding each other a bit more. So yes, healthy couples should be fighting, or I would probably say another layer of that is disagreement or having some conflict. That is okay, and that is actually encouraged Because you're not going to agree on everything. You're not going to understand each other the first time all the time. Each time you're doing this, you're learning each other's communication style. You're learning what triggers are. You're learning yourself more in the process. And if you're a parent, you are modeling healthy disagreements for your children. If they never see you argue, how are they going to know how to have conflict resolution in the future? And still come out on the other side loving this person. It doesn't always work out perfectly. My, my hand is raised. My husband and I, we try to argue some in front of our children just to show, hey, mommy and daddy still love each other. We disagree just like you do with your siblings, but the love is still there. We're willing to work on it to understand each other's perspective. I hope that makes sense. Healthy fighting, good for your relationship. So for today, round five of Q&A, thank you again for submitting questions. And that is all for today. I hope that you have a wonderful week ahead and I really appreciate you listening. As always, you've got this and I am cheering you on. See you next time.